coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Every team has a performance pathway, right? And, and the performance pathway is this. Leaders create the culture that drives the behavior that produces results, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, a, you're an operator, you're a producer, so am I. I like to reverse engineer this, right? Our job, essentially our job in business and in sports for that matter, which I work, I only say that because I work with a lot of uh, sports teams, but from a business perspective, our job at its simplest is produce the behavior that produces results. Because mm-hmm. here's why, here's why we start there. Because the products will always change. Yeah. The markets will always change. The audience will always change. The dynamics will always change. The processes will always change. The regulations will always change. If we build winning behavior into ourselves and our teams, then we can attach that to any product. Whatever. Yeah. We can, we, we can, we can, we can pull any lever, right? We can, we can undergo any change. We can undergo any transformation. We can do it by paper. We can do it by iPad. Right? Mm-hmm. Those just happened to be next to me. That wasn't planned. Yep. Like we can do it. We can do anything when we have the behavior that produces results. The problem and the challenge is that behavior is the most complex variable in the world. Like there is nothing more complex than one person's behavior, let alone the group dynamics. When we start putting two, five, 10, 20, a hundred, you know, 30,000 people together in, you know, when, when businesses get really big. Yeah. So that's the reason we need culture. If we think of, and culture has been so poorly defined. I mean, I could, we could do four hours on culture. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's gotten such an awful brain because it's been taught so terribly. It's been taught like trust falls and hugs and ping pong yeah. tables and, you know, all this different stuff. If you think of this way, what character is to a person Culture is to a team. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Brian Kite, who is the founder and owner of Dig NVS. Brian, I hope I got that right. I actually, we didn't go over the company name, but this this episode of Pass the Secret Sauce was really, really, really deep. We got into culture and, and leadership, and Brian has some, some great philosophies. He's a great presenter, great speaker, and we get into what made him into such a, a great presenter and speaker through his, th- his upbringing and that. But we really get deep into what is a, a core value. Again, we've, we've covered this a couple of times before in recent episodes, but Brian has sort of a different spin on things and a, a way to be able to determine you know, if it is truly a core value or is it just a shell and, and how can you make sure that you're living those core values so that obviously the, the premise behind having a core value is being able to make sure that those are being pushed out into your organization, or, or I shouldn't even say pushing, but allowing your organization to have sort of a guiding beacon 
for making decisions and what's right, what's wrong, and how do I how do I respond to these different daily you know elements that might be thrown at me. So really, really, really powerful, uh, interesting conversation. And this is one that could go on for four or five hours, I'm sure. There's so many different times when I had things popping in my head as he was talking about you know, his his philosophies and his outlook. So that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce with Brian Kite. Yeah, my dinner table. So I had, uh, my parents were divorced, which is, was, is, was one of the biggest shapers of me, right? So my dad was a pastor and my mom was not a pastor. Okay. And, and so that's, that's probably why they didn't make it past when I was on maybe about a year old or so they, they were married for a while beforehand, but they divorced when I was about a year old. So at my dad's house, the house was structured. The dinner table conversation was around business leadership and sports. Okay. I, we, we were at the dinner table. My, my dad brought home and talked leadership development and personal yeah. excellence. And he was a track star at UCLA and he, you know, so he, and he, you know, he, he's, he likes to talk about a lot. He was, he was there in Wooden's last couple of years, John Wooden's last couple of years. Oh, wow. Wow. So he kind of pulled this, you know, aura away from it. Right. And then was really interested in the competitive side. So he just, he was always talking about that stuff at the dinner table. And then he was always talking about, we were talking about just leadership and then sports. Like we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, it was dirt bike, dirt bike racing or, or football, or, you know, again, whatever the topic was, we would just, you know, he just rarely turned it off. He didn't, he didn't talk about a ton of other stuff. Yeah. Whereas in my mom's house, the conversation was, I guess, what I would call a, like a worldly one, right? My, for my dad, I, I, I learned at the dinner table, you know, it was structure and, you know, like standards set, guideline standards whereas my mom's house was less structure but it was more worldly right it was that it was that street smarts talk yep. right it, yep. you know it was stuff like it was stuff like there's no such thing as a bad word yeah there, whatever meaning you choose to assign to that word right whereas yeah. in my dad's house it was no there were definitely bad words yeah. right interesting and so i had this really cool upbringing between these two homes of parents that gave me a ton of love but they ran their homes and really kind of their views of reality mm-hmm. differently. And so our, our, our conversations at the dinner table really shaped me in two pretty completely different ways, which I'm really yeah. grateful. That, that's really interesting that, that, you know, there were the, the two different dynamics and then, you know, where you are at today and how much, I mean, it seems like you, you obviously have taken a lot of what your dad was talking about and, and you made it your life, but I'm sure that there's, you know, some influences in that from your mother as well. Do you, do you have any, you know, thoughts on this was something that I absolutely love doing. You know, I always like talking sports or leadership or anything like that. Is that, is that kind of the reason why you went in that direction or. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I mean, you know, for, you know, I have my own personal journey of separate from sports sort of, 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 I like to think about what one of the big things that I do right now is I, I teach the intersection of self-awareness, self-discipline, and self-confidence. If you can be really self-aware, really self-disciplined, really self-confident, I mean, you can achieve just about damn anything. Yeah, you sure. Want, absolutely. Right? But if you miss one of those, it starts getting real, real hard, no matter how talented you are. And I learned that first in my life, just experientially navigating between the two homes 
for the divorce, right? The handoff and the drives and the flights and all this time by myself and these two really different homes and attention and all that stuff. And I had to learn how to, you know, I think people talk cope and they think negatively, but I, I think of it really in like the, the positive way, right? I had to learn how to, how to adjust myself mm-hmm. and gain control of myself to get some stability. You know, in terms of the actual work now, obviously my dad, a huge shaping hand, we worked together for 15 years, you know, but to a large extent, I would also say like, you know, my, my, my mom, while not in the, what I would call direct professional sense that my dad has played my mom, super competitive. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, wild competitive and, you know, high standards. And despite the fact that I would say probably her, you know, the structure, at least compared to my dad, wasn't quite the same. Like the standards were also her, her standards were her standards. And so I learned standards and establishing them and holding to them yeah, really, really strongly from both of my parents, you know, and then my mom, you know, probably more so than my dad was just wired with a heart for helping people. Mm-hmm. Like she's just wired for this, you know, give, 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 give. And then it's not, not that my dad isn't just, you know, it was just give, 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 give. And so, and she's still that way. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I feel like I kind of pulled both of those Both things. And I kind of took all this, you know, incredible stuff from my mom, all this, you know, incredible stuff from my dad, and then went through my own life experiences of this, right. Yeah. And business experiences of that and try to figure out how to not be my mom, not be my dad, but pull so many of the things that they taught me and then try to figure out who am I, what, what's what right can I you. go do with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned too, your, your sort of ebbs and flows that you've been through, what, what types of businesses have you been involved in? What, what were some of those earlier influences that have led you to where you are today? Yeah. So, you know, like most entrepreneurs, I was uh, not a great college student. I did fine in, in high school, you know, three, eight, five, whatever it was. And, and when I got I played football in college and it wasn't that I wasn't capable of being a student, I wasn't interested. Mm-hmm, right. I just, you know, I, I, you know, and again, I think some people will identify with this. I just never cared about the difference between an A and a C. Yep. It just didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Looking back now at almost 40, you know, the, the skills maybe that I could have built are interesting. The opportunity to study freely and all that stuff is interesting now, but I still don't care about an A or a C. Like, yeah, exactly. It wasn't until after I got out of college, I was like, oh, like this could make me a thousand dollars. This skill could make me 10 grand. Yeah. That's a meaningful difference, right? Yeah, right. So my, you know, my ebbs and flows, I didn't realize what I wanted to do. Well, I shouldn't say didn't realize until I realized I wanted to coach coaches when I was in college. My experience as a college athlete was I just recognized that, that coaches didn't get a lot of coaching, mm-hmm. if any. Mm-hmm. In fact, the most undercoached profession in America, in my observation. And so I said, well, hey, I, I, I can teach that. Like we can teach the skills of building and running a team, the skills of, you know, mental development, the competitive side for athletes and, and, and help them learn how to build culture. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to do at the very last second, right before graduation, a friend in Southern California, uh, and I went to college in Ohio out in Worcester and, you know, it's the middle of nowhere in Amish country. I mean, yeah, it was like, yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> love my time. It was bleak. And a friend back in my hometown on the beach in LA said, Hey, I've got an extra room. Come out, like, come live with me. Like, let's go. He's like, I don't, you know, you don't have to pay a thing. I'm already, we're, we're good. So the very last second, right before I was getting ready to start the business, I said, I can do that anytime. And I moved out to LA. Okay. Got a job doing IT recruiting 
for web and mobile development in Westwood, on right on the corner of UCLA's campus. I was living in Manhattan Beach, commuting to Westwood. It's about a 19-minute drive. Takes about an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half. And I realized within 30 days that I was living in paradise, and I hated my existence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it was the first time in my life that I was begging for Fridays and dreading Mondays. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. And it was a wake up call that if I wasn't able to pour myself into the work, and I don't mean follow my passion, you know, maybe we can come back to that because Mike Rowe has a really great comment that he makes about this that really shifted me when I heard it, but it wasn't about following my passion. It was about, I just I dreaded the entire existence. I mm-hmm. dreaded the drive. I dreaded going to the office. I, dread, I just, all of that. And so I made it, I made a, a decision. I was like, I'm out, I'm not doing this, but I, I forced myself to perform in the job before I left. Okay. Okay. I, I, I wasn't able to, cause I was going to quit the job, but I, I, I wasn't going to quit until I hit my number. Okay. And so I had to stay in the job self-imposed yeah. Yeah. until I hit my number just to say that I didn't back out because it was hard work. Yeah. Right? Right. Hit my number, moved back to Ohio and started a business building leadership culture and behavior skills for coaches, what I do now, mm-hmm. or at least one of the audiences. And my first year in business, I, I got zero second meetings, earned zero clients and made zero dollars yeah. in a year. I mean, just reason number one is I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Reason number two is that it was early. Coaches didn't do that. Sports teams didn't do that stuff yet. Yeah. And then reason number three is coaches are and still are a, 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 a real stubborn bunch to work with because sure. they control they have so much control over everything. Yeah. Yeah. That letting somebody coach them that way is still a really new notion for a lot of these guys, yeah. uh, men and women. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so my, you know, my first two years or so out of college was really a, a blazing success. Yeah. <laughs> and uh sorry, cousin. And then I only had two 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 things. I was never gonna work with my dad and I was never gonna work in business. Yeah. And, you know, but I started looking at all the different options. I started looking at stuff that was going on. And as my business was, you know, as I'm trying to figure out, all right, you know, I don't have any money, so right. I can't do anything. I'm stuck here. Right. And I'm working these dead end job stuff. And, and my dad couldn't speak at a business event one day. And it was on a topic that I knew a lot about and you know, this, this, a lot of the, our conversations and stuff. And he said, Hey, do you want to go do it? Is that a credit union? Okay. And uh, it was like an all staff, 250 people. And I said like two hours, 90 minutes, something like that. I said, okay. I was maybe all of 23 years old, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And he said, okay, go. And I went and did it. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't even know what a credit union was. But, <laughs> That's awesome. I but I was like, kind of like a bank, I guess, you know, and then I just yeah. went for it. I just, but I was talking on, on personal skills. I was talking about managing emotions, focus, discipline. I was teaching E plus R equals O. The business context wasn't as immediately relevant, but the personal side was, and I loved it. I loved every second. I saw the humans. I saw the teams. I saw the competitive side. I'm like, wait a minute. Is this business? Like, is this like business can be this kind of fun? Yeah. And I went all in. My dad said. Real real quick. You, you, uh, it sounds like, you know, based on that, that energy that you got from that, you know, that initial speaking event, it sounds like the, the event went really well. Would you, would you say that it was, you know, people, people got a lot of value from it. So So, yeah, that's good. Good reference. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, so what do you think, like what, what gave you that ability to be able to stand up? You know, you hadn't really done too much, you know, speaking in front of people. 
you know, and obviously you, you're teaching this type of thing. Did you yeah. have something sort of internal to you that you knew that uh, I can do this? I can get up in front of uh, 250 people and talk about, you know, this topic to a company that I have no idea what the hell they even do. Right. You know, yeah. so, so what, what do you think, what do you think, you know, was a credit to that success? Besides youthful, blind confidence, uh, <laughs> which I had in spades, yeah. uh, you know, cause people will ask, I mean, I, I joke, but it's also true. Like, I mean, I, I absolutely had blind confidence, right? Yeah. My, my, at that point, my confidence exceeded my competence. Mm-hmm. Now, I was fortunately good enough to perform well, but my, you know, looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, yeah. what was my dad thinking even let me go there? But here's what I had in my favor. What I had in my favor, and I was actually just posting about this on Instagram today, ironically. Number one is I knew the topic really, really well, and I cared about it a lot. Mm-hmm which goes a long way. Yeah. Like I love the topic of decision-making and trying to like, how do we manage our internal and external selves to go out and like show up at our, I love that topic. Yeah. And I knew it really well, my, my system, but number two, more importantly, in my mind for this question about what causes me to get up in front of an audience. Cause I think this question is fundamentally no different, Matt, than what gives me, gives any listener the confidence to start their own business or to talk to their boss and say, Hey, I want to build this, you know, whatever I'll ask for this raise or to, or to, to go into a sale or step into an environment with prospecting or pick up the phone and make cold calls. I think these are all related. Mm -hmm. I know they are is I did not care what the audience thought about me. Yeah. I love it. And I tell audiences today, right? 39, I got a wife, two kids. I've worked on some of the biggest platforms in the world with some of the biggest names. And here's the thing still to this day. Number one, almost everybody in the world has no idea who I am. Yeah. Including a bunch of people who I would really love to know. And I would love to know who I am and they don't know who I am. So humility is my ground base. Like Mm -hmm. people ask me, how do you stay humble? sort of just generally speaking, not Brian Kite, but like, how do I stay humble? And I'm like, well, let's, how do you struggle with that? Like, just look at who you don't know. Look at what you can't do. Look at the crowds that you can't get in front of. Look at the people you can't pick up the phone and call. Look at who doesn't know who you are. You have no choice but to be humble. But then number two is this, at no point in my life have I checked with an audience for approval to make sure that I am sure. a good person and good with myself. Yeah, I've never needed yeah. that person's approval in the audience or that person's for me to be okay with me. So I'm not going to start today. Yep. And I'll tell audiences that point blank and I'm fun and laugh with it. And they're all like, and they all kind of sit and they all kind of chuckle because it's kind of funny, but then they're like, damn, that's like super true. Like, yeah. like why, you know, so for me to make a sales call or me to stand up at 22, 23 in front of a credit union, I didn't know any of those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't know me. So if I got done with that and they said, that guy sucked. What I'm, like, well, make? I'm like, well, yesterday I didn't have their approval either. And I felt pretty good about me yesterday too. So, you know, but I think it's this notion where people are like, oh, now I know that they think that. Yeah. And so for me, that, that was, that, those were really my two driving forces was I, I, I knew and cared about the topic and then I did not care what the audience thought about me. And yeah. so it just, it left me free to just go up and just speak with energy it. and passion about what I was interested in. And then the audience can pick up whatever they want, or they can leave it sitting on the table. Like that's yep. not up to me. Once it leaves my mouth, yep. And it's it's all, I, it's I think there. so many people struggle with that too, where they they can't get out of their own head. 
right? You know, they, they keep thinking, oh, do they like me? Do they, am I accepted? All this and that. And I actually took a, an improv class years ago. And basically with an improv class, it's, it's all just, you know, getting out of your head, right? It's, you know, just, just thinking it or not even thinking, just, you know, whatever your intuition is telling you to do, you just do that. And, and, you know, more times than not, that that's a great uh, barometer that's going to lead you in the right direction. So, so yeah. So after, after one semester of college in Ohio, I was, I was really not feeling the California to Ohio transition was hard. I was not feeling it. Had some family stuff going on. So I dropped out of college. I moved back to LA to be an actor and yeah. I did improv and I'd done improv before, oh, but I did it. improv four days a week for a yeah. year straight. Wow. And, and there is no doubt, there is no doubt in my mind that all of that was, was preparation. I, I, I write an, an email every day called daily discipline. And every year, every email I, I write goes out Monday through Friday, I've done it four years, never missed a day. Mm-hmm. And it ends with do the work. But every year I add a, like a, a, a theme. So, okay. so I put do the work in there because I don't, I don't want people to confuse reading my email with doing work, right? Like yeah. this is the consumption. If it stops here, you get nothing. Yeah. Right? You yeah. got to, you got to go close the email and go do the work on what that topic was. Right. Yeah. But I'll give a theme every year. And so the theme this whole year, every email ends with the same line. Everything is training for something. Mm-hmm. Do the work. So what it means is go back to your improv, you know, my improv experience. And, and it's not limited to just those. There's so many more is, you know, when, when I'm doing improv at 18, 19 years old, I don't know that I'm doing improv to train myself how to sell. Yeah, I don't know that I'm doing improv to train myself how to be good on a Zoom call during a pandemic when all of my business has to go from a a stage or a workshop room to a video camera. Yep. But all those countless hours at 18 and 19 year old years old doing improv and 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 video and camera training was all building skills that I used in a completely different environment than the ones that I thought I was training for. Yeah. But everything is training for something. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. We're not just in the moment that we're in, we're trying to win that moment, but that moment is also preparing us for some future moment as well. So I just always like to remember that because there's never a moment where, oh, that wasn't worth it. 
Yeah, maybe yeah. not for this particular thing. We don't win every battle, but there's something about what we just did. Something about what we're doing right now. Yep. That is going to have a dividend. We just gotta we just gotta get to that moment. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And I completely agree too. I'm, you know, I'm a huge proponent of always, you know, looking at what your assets are, your skill sets are, whatever it is, and then trying to, you know, leapfrog into something that is complementary to that rather than well, I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna be a cake baker, right? Like what the hell do I know about? you know, baking cakes and decorating cakes, yeah. right? So, yeah. And for, you know, like that, like for me, like between improv and I don't know when I was doing a lot of the video work later, it might have been like a decade. Yeah. And yeah, there was a little bit of stuff, stuff doing speaking and stuff that the improv helped out on. No, no doubt. But in terms of when it really started to like leverage leverage, it was a decade later. And so, you know, sometimes there's a decade between when we do the act that trains us and when yeah. it actually de- delivers a payoff. We just can't predict that. So we have to embrace that that's always going on, which is how yeah. I prefer to live. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So talk a little bit about, you know, you, you've mentioned, you know, leadership and culture and all of that. Mm-hmm. What are some of your, I guess, your your philosophies and your trainings on mm-hmm. establishing, you know, a, a constructive leadership team? And mm-hmm. then obviously that's going to sort of trickle down into the the culture that that's going to breed and build. Yeah. So, so the first is from a business perspective, if you have a team, every team has a performance pathway, right? And, and the performance pathway is this leaders create the culture that drives the behavior that produces results, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're a, you're an operator, you're a producer. So am I, I like to reverse engineer this, right? Our job, essentially our job in business and in sports for that matter, which I work, I only say that because I work with a lot of sports teams, but from a business perspective, Our job at its simplest is produce the behavior that produces results. Mm -hmm. Because here's why, here's why we start there. Because the products will always change. Yeah. The markets will always change. The audience will always change. The dynamics will always change. The processes will always change. The regulations will always change. If we build winning behavior into ourselves and our teams, then we can attach that to any product ever. Yeah. We can, we, we can, we can, we can pull any lever, right? We can, we can undergo any change. We can undergo any transformation. We can do it by paper. We can do it by iPad. Right? Those just happened to be next to me. That wasn't planned. Yep. Like we can do it. We can do anything when we have the behavior that produces results. The problem and the challenge is that behavior is the most complex variable in the world. Like there is nothing more complex than one person's behavior let alone the group dynamics when we start putting two, five, 10, 20, 100, you know, 30,000 people together in, you know, when, when businesses get really big. Yeah. So that's the reason we need culture. If we think of, and culture has been so poorly defined. I mean, I could, we could do four hours on culture. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's gotten such an awful brain because it's been taught so terribly. It's been taught like trust falls and hugs and ping pong yeah. tables and, you know, all this different stuff. If you think of this way, what character is to a person, culture is to a team. Character is my internal set of beliefs Mm -hmm. that I live from that feed and guide what I do, how I do it, and why I do it. That's my character. If I have a weak character, it means I promote something but live another way. Or I promote a really shallow belief and I live really closely to, you know, a really shallow belief, right? That's, That's where weak character comes from. Or weak character comes from when a little bit of pressure is applied to my character, my character breaks. Yeah. Right? Like I believe in honesty until all of a sudden I have to tell you a it's truth that yeah. may hurt your feelings, but 
is really, really, really important. And instead of being honest, because I got afraid, I just didn't tell you the truth, which means my character was a little, it overpromised and underdelivered. Yeah. Culture is that for a team and a group. It's the set of beliefs that we share together that guide and direct how we behave on the job every day and why we actually do that, what it produces for us. And so culture is beliefs, behaviors, and outcomes. And just like every person has a character, whether they've defined it or not, everybody has a character, right? They have beliefs that they live by, and those beliefs are either strong and resilient and robust, and they uphold, and you can challenge them, but they stay under pressure. Or those beliefs at various different points have cracks, and they fade, or they crack, or they crumble, or whatever it is. Culture is the same way, mm-hmm. right? Some of those, some, some cultures are, you know, some cultures believe that, some cultures believe that uh, in positivity, Mm-hmm. until management makes a decision they don't like. Yeah. And then, sure. then they get to complain a lot, yep. right? It's, it's, a, it's a weak culture in that it, it, doesn't, it only takes a little bit of pressure or challenge or difficulty for it to crack. And this is important because, and this is, this is one of the really big things in culture for people to get when you think about this pathway. And again, not, not, it's not because of the pathway. The pathway exists because this is true. There is nothing that drives human behavior in a business mm-hmm. more strongly than culture. Mm-hmm. Culture is the number one execution vehicle in the world. Because think yeah. about your own experience. Do, do most people in their jobs, whether it's entrepreneurs or not, do most people in their jobs behave in a way that maximizes their career, their finances, their growth, and their ability to bring in more revenue. Is that how most people behave on the job? No. No, it's not. It's definitely how some people behave, Yeah. but it does not explain work behavior. Yeah. So if we're not behaving according to the thing that makes us the most money, advances our career, makes us the best for customers or within the internal, helps us work with our teammates to grow and advance, if it doesn't grow the business, right? So that we're increasing the, the stability of the entity that employs us, you know, it's stock price, if that's a thing. If that doesn't, if that's not driving our behavior, what is? Mm -hmm. What's driving our behavior is whether or not I am socially accepted by the people that I work with. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's culture. Yep. Because then what what happens is then you you see infighting. You Mm -hmm. see self-preservation at the expense of the actual product, right? You see somebody who's in a sales role who just doesn't try that hard. Yeah. Because they're like, eh. And so, you know, you see, you see, you see uh, uh, sports teams are really easy to see because you can visualize it, right? You can watch a sports team that just gives them up and quits on a game. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, well, are they bad athletes? No. Are they bad people? No. Are they, you know, do they have awful characters? No. But what happens is once I'm surrounded by people who like, you know, have a little negative energy, it's way easier for me to adopt that negative energy than it is for me to be the isolated one a little bit rejected by the group trying to push positivity because that feel awkward for most people. So businesses that try to build culture by putting it on the outside, right? Putting culture into like their floor plans and all these other places, everybody tries to build culture. They build these cultures of trying to make everybody feel good. Yeah. And that doesn't work because it's the things that produce don't always feel good. Yeah. That makes sense. Being being honest with each other. Yeah. Like that there's, that, that, that can be tough sometimes. Yeah. If our culture is built on feel good, then guess what? I'm going to back down from those really important moments that don't feel that good, but are also really high character, high integrity and productive. I'm going to lose them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then where's culture come from? It comes from leaders. Leaders have to create it. They got to design it. They got to build it by discipline. They got to uphold the standards. They got to support people. They got to teach them. They got to build relationships so that we're, we're building culture, not just based on protocols and compliance. We're building culture, how it really needs to be built. And that is com- uh, conversation to conversation, heart to heart, right? Like challenge to challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's leaders who are responsible for instigating and pushing and getting that ball rolling. And then everybody has a role in culture but it's leaders who have to get that moving and going. They got to be the spark and ultimately yep. they have to actually define it and then do the process of keeping and holding everybody's alignment as they go forward. So that's really the higher leaders create culture, culture drives behavior, behavior produces results. If in your business, if you can get that pathway right. And then most importantly, if you can keep it going, which is my opinion, the way harder thing, not getting it going, but keeping it going. If you can get that right, you will be able to endure and even thrive through any changing business environment, business model, context, pandemic, whatever, you're going to be fine. And then when the conditions are right, you are going to excel while everybody else crashes. Yeah. So you've made me think of a couple of different things. So this just a few weeks ago, we interviewed another, another person who I'm huge on core values, right? And I assume that, you know, part of establishing the culture is defining those core values. Like you just said, the leaders need to define, you know, that culture, what that means, right? So we defined all of our core values and our core values are all, you know, one word things and then a definition behind them, right? I I talked to someone a a while ago on on the show and his core values, I noticed right away, were very action-based they they you know it was a couple of words but it was some type of an action and like you're you're sort of saying you know you're teaching behaviors and and behavior is really what you're trying to get across which is is very much so action-based do you feel like creating the behaviors or creating that culture that you're talking about should be more wrapped around an actionable core value rather than having you know sort of one word that you know maybe with the sentence after to after it to be able to define it do you, do you think it's more powerful having an action-based type, you know, guiding mechanism, yeah. if you will? Yeah. So, so all of this is anytime we're in this company, I mean, obviously this is, this is like, you're, you're asking a question that is at like the core right? Of where like the, the majority of my work with, you know, teams and businesses is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, but I want to, I want to take just one step back from the question. And just to make sure from a methodology perspective, we're all on the same page. I want to make sure that that whether it's core values, I say beliefs rather than core values, you know, they're synonymous. So, you know, listen to the phrase that, that you like best. The methodology is not going to be the answer. And this is, again, this is important, right? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like buying an app, buying a different, downloading a different to-do app mm-hmm. is not the, that's not the answer and it's not your problem. Okay. Yeah. For not, not you personally, right? Anybody like yeah. it's not the to do app. And so it's not the methodology. Now, at times, methodologies can help us understand things and uncover things and organize them. So I'm a I'm a really big believer in systems because I think once we've got the right spot, get in the right system and we get to a good place. So here's how I put the system together. And this is before I even so I put well, I'll do this. I'll talk about the system and then I'll talk about the reason why and let you ask some questions. Mm-hmm. So the system is this. We, we, we help businesses and teams build what we call a culture playbook, okay? And it's, it's what you would think it is, right? It is a playbook for what our culture is and how to live it and why it matters, okay? 
just like anything else, if we have a playbook, it doesn't explain every detail. It doesn't, it's not exhaustive, but it is explicit. This is, this is, this is how we want to organize ourselves, what we want to do. The, the main component of the playbook is something called a BBO and it stands for beliefs, behaviors, and outcomes. And so we define, what do we believe? What does that look like in behavior? What outcomes does that produce for us? Here's why we structure it that way. Take a step back from, from business for a second. And again, core value, belief, synonymous. What's the purpose of a belief? What's the purpose of a core value? Yeah, I guess it, it, it's a guiding, it's a guiding beacon. Of, you know, this is the direction that we should go when faced in, you know, different situations or. Yeah. And, and it, is it, generally speaking, is it, it, is it designed to be a generally when you feel like it, try to think about doing this or with the word core value belief, is it a. Yeah, it should be, like you said, yeah, something that, you know, is sort of internal. This is what, you know, this is what drives me, right? This is what is important to me. So here's, so here's the question. What is a belief worth if it doesn't produce a behavior? Yeah, that's true. The entire purpose for holding a belief is to create a behavior from it. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, if we hold beliefs that don't create real behaviors, what do we have? We have an empty yeah. shell. We have actually something worse in my observation. We have something worse than having no belief. We actually have the weird way to say it, but true. We have the belief that we have a real belief when in fact we don't. This is what people mean by virtue signaling these days is you, you throw the claim of the belief up, but there is no backing of behavior. So the first is if we're going to define a belief or a core value, which I'm a huge fan of, whether it's one word or phrase, you know, I'm agnostic, it's whatever. We have to define what it looks like in action for the purpose of holding ourselves responsible for doing it. Yeah. So that we yeah. do not ever, ever, ever under any circumstances end up in the crowd of people who claim they believe in things without doing them and paying a price for them. Yeah. So my whole thing is if you say you believe in honesty, I'm with you. It's good. But do you believe in honesty or do you believe in selective honesty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. Do you believe in empathy or do you believe in empathy with people you politically agree with? Huge difference. The difference between somebody who believes in empathy, they live by it and they live by it, whether people agree or disagree, whether they look like them or don't, whether they're, you know, whether they're treating them well or not treating them real great. Somebody who believes in empathy, they live with empathy. Somebody who believes in empathy, as long as you look like me, vote like me, you use kind words to me as long as you don't say something mean first. That's a super different set of behaviors, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the last piece is, so a belief needs to produce a behavior. And then the, the, the next connection is, why do we, what's a behavior designed to do? What's, what's, a, what's the purpose of a behavior? It's to produce a result. I engage in this behavior because I believe it will create this result. That yeah. result. yeah. And so when we build this out, what I find to be very helpful for people in part because of how poorly culture has been done before, you know, 30 years ago, even frankly, when I was starting this 15 years ago, 18 years ago, sort of the, the culture was still this really kind of new thing that people was being talked about. And so all of this stuff was flooding and they were pushing all these different stuff. But if you look today, and again, I'm in a lot of these, but if you look at, at fortune 500 businesses or, or big companies, and they're now pulling down to entrepreneurial companies because they're all following the trends, mm-hmm is you're going to see lists of so many of the same core values that exist in all these other businesses. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what happens is you have this phrase that no longer has real meaning. True. Yeah. It's, it's kind of empty. And, you know, you see this in the sports world where these cliches start rolling around. And in today's athlete who, just like today's business person, has consumed so much content and seen so much on social media and YouTube and books that by the time they get into our businesses, by the time they get onto our teams and they see integrity, respect, collaboration, diversity, the process, whatever it is, they're like, okay, well, this is the seventh company that I've worked for yep. that has said we're built on integrity. And they're fundamentally no different than all the other businesses that I've been in. Yeah. Right. Like, so like they all say it, but like, does it really explain who they actually are debatable yeah. to not really? So I'm just a big fan of, of being explicit about the belief, explicit about the behavior that, that needs to be there. If that belief is real, it's the testing point mm -hmm. in my mind, mm -hmm. the behavior is a testing point. It's the, it's the, it's the pass fail. Yes, no succeed or not. And then what's the reason, what's the business outcome and purpose behind that behavior? That's the reason that we believe in this so damn deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you typically find people will change their core values, beliefs, what have you, you know, if they, if they go through and say, you know, this is us and then they, you know, go through and test it and maybe, maybe it isn't a good fit. Maybe it's something that, you know, keeps, you know, coming up where, you know, that's always a challenge or that's always a problem. Do you, do you often see people will, will change things and adjust things as sort of as they go? I probably see more people who need to, but aren't Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people who, who do. I mean, it's one of those things where people get, people get nervous and weird about, they think it's this fixed component and quality. And of course, I don't know, it's like anything else. If you're, if you're changing it once a year, probably yeah. not the best strategy, but at the same time, if it's, you know, this process is sticky and it's messy and yeah. it's hard. Like it's, it's, it's so much harder to uncover our core beliefs, our driving beliefs, our core values, the stuff that really, like I ask myself this question, what am I willing to pay almost any price for? Mm -hmm. Like again, for my own personal beliefs. And then I'll ask the same thing for the business. What am I willing to pay almost any price for? So with me, one of the things I do, and, and you can probably sense this, is I believe in the truth with love. So one of the things that drives me is, and this is a belief behavior. It's kind of like, you know, it's sometimes they're in between. They're like, is it entirely this for me? It's, it, it's a behavior, but I also believe in telling the truth with love. But one of my marks for my standards culturally and character wise for me, both it's actually an intersection is tell the truth with love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, when there's a really hard, uncomfortable truth that I have to say in front of a business crowd, that other people are afraid to say because of cancel culture, or maybe I won't get rehired by this client or whatever. I believe I have a responsibility to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I like right. That. But it has to be with love. Yeah. It has to come from love, but my love can't cause me to be a coward in the moment and not say the real actual thing that needs to be said. And I don't mean coward again, in a really critical way. I mean, like the my fear got better of me. And rather than do the thing that was scary, I did the less scary thing. I want to do both of those. And what happens is there's a price for that. I'll get done with the keynote and there will be people who are like, man, don't like that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the price. Right. But I feel like that price is worth it compared to what the price I would pay if I did the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So I'm deciding who I want to be and what I'm willing to pay for and then go live that. I don't want to find myself in the moment thinking I believe something and counter the, 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 the need to go live it 
and then find out that I'm not really willing to pay the price of that belief and then not live it out in full because the price was too heavy. Yeah. I, I don't that. want to be that person. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and like you said, you're, you're, you, you don't want to live in a shell under a shell no. that doesn't mean anything. Right. No, you we know, have it's... enough. I mean, I'm, look, we have enough people who, people who talk about, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's always been this way. Mm-hmm. It's just, we live in this media environment where stuff gets pushed out. Yeah. So, so this isn't new, first of all, but we just, we've got enough people who say they're about something and then they get in certain crowds and they get in certain moments and they're not really about it. Yeah. We just, we, we've got enough of that, right? We've got enough people who say, again, let's talk leadership, right? <clears throat> they believe in accountability until they're the ones being held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. They, they believe young people are way too entitled, mm-hmm. but they believe that at 50 years old, they shouldn't have to change in their business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I like that. Uh, no. Yeah. It, if you know, say like, if you have the standard, the belief, yeah, the first person to pay a price for it has got to be you. Otherwise, yeah. just own the fact that you don't really believe that. I believe in entitlement. I don't believe you're you get to be entitled, but I do believe I get to be entitled because Matt, that's what integrity is. Mm-hmm. Integrity is being complete and whole in your belief system. I'm just asking people to be integrity. That's it. Just live with integrity. We're yeah. good to go. I love it. I love it. Brian, this is, we could go on and on, I'm sure with, with all these different topics, but uh, if people want to learn more about you, your, your programs, what would be the best way to, to get in touch or, or learn more? Yeah. So, so my, you know, my social handle everywhere, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those spots at T Brian kite last name is K I G H T looks like night, but uh, sounds like kite, like the kind that you fly. And then from a, from a business perspective, all, all the business side, all the business tools are at my website, tbriankite.com. And then all the, all my personal tools, all the, all the tools that I do for individuals, the, the personal discipline side, that's at dailydiscipline.com. And I've sent a free email out every morning at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And it, uh, it's just about the length of a phone. Mm-hmm. Teaches some aspect of personal discipline applied to you know, the areas, skills, relationships, applications in our lives that make a difference. And it was all born out of uh, getting done with a session, you know, a keynote or a workshop or something, working with a client and people saying, how do I keep this alive? Like, this is yeah. while you're here, this is, you know, going on, this is great, but how do I keep it alive? Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't like my answer when I said, you wake up tomorrow and you do it. They didn't, they didn't like that answer. <laughs> So I, so I, so, so to steal their excuses and for me to share more of just my own thoughts and notes of people, I said, okay, well, like I'll, I'll, I'll help everybody on for free on the journey who wants something to keep them sharp daily mm-hmm. focused, but doesn't want to have to consume a ton. I'll send out like one really focused and specific message on a skill around discipline so that from now on, there is no excuse. There is no reason for it not being on your mind because it's sitting right there in your inbox. It'll take you 30 seconds to read it. And if you're not going to put in 30 seconds, you were never going to do any of that work. Yeah. 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 That's a great, that's a great way to look at it. Um, and, and do you find often that the people do have a hard time, you know, continuing, like you said, this is really, really difficult any parting words on tips to be able to, to keep that fire going, you know, day in, day out. So, I mean, it, it, I don't know that this is going to be new for a lot of people, but man, do I mean this in the most simple and obvious way? And it might be for some people, you don't need to be disciplined every day. You just have to be disciplined today. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like that's like, like, that. like everybody gets worried about you. You can't do tomorrow's work 
today. Yeah. Like the best way to be disciplined every day is to be just disciplined for today. one day. I and then we get that. to go to sleep. We get to rest. Yeah. And then tomorrow we'll wake up and say, all right, do I want to be disciplined today? But let's wait till that decision gets there. For now, if I can be disciplined today, I can do that any day, any day of my yeah. life. Yeah, I love it. Brian, this has been fun. This has been a lot of a lot of fun. And like I said, there's so many different paths and, and angles and all of that that we can go down. So maybe sometime in the future, we'll we'll uh, do another show and tackle some more of these topics. Yeah, so we love that. It's really, been a blast. I appreciate yeah, having me on. Really, really good stuff. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.